Alright everybody, welcome back to episode 28, a special thanking balls edition, post-ball Friday. And Adam, a lot of points on the NFL field this week, and for college football it was rivalry week, a lot of hatred on the field, so we gotta break that down too. Yeah, but you know, Bob, we're going to do it with love because we're bringing back an old friend. He's a Waco survivor, a Utah survivor, and he even saw Texas A&M knock off LSU this week. So we've got a lot to talk about, and go Eagles. in the air. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Ooh, let's go racing, boys. All right, everybody. Episode 28. Hope you had a great holiday weekend. Adam, I am full. There's a lot of ham still in my stomach, I'm pretty sure. Uh, a lot of great football on the field and off. And, uh, you know, let me tell you what. We survived. I hope your holiday was good. It was a very good holiday, Bob. Thanksgiving always means that I get to attach an IV bag of brown gravy to myself and just pour it directly down my throat all over my plate. It's a lovely holiday. Nothing but eating football and a lot of it, Bob. Just a chef's kiss of a holiday. Very American. Glad we all celebrated it. Bob, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I absolutely gorged myself. Uh, you know, cousins were a little bit late, so, you know, we were supposed to eat at 3. I was watching that clock. They didn't show up till about 3.35, 3.40. Not that I'm counting time, but... Uh, you know, might have broken into a sleeve of Ritz crackers or two, might have popped a couple of nuggets, but, you know, hey, we made it. Uh, didn't spend too much Black Friday shopping, Adam, so I'd say all around, it was a successful weekend for me. Hey, as long as there's not too big of a dent in the wallet and, you know, you could still fit in the pants at the end of it, it's a successful holiday, so. That a boy, Bob. I never said um, that, never said that, but <laughs> I digress. Well, Bob, we teased it in the intro, so, uh. We may as well go into it a little bit now. We've got a guest coming on the podcast a little bit later to talk college football with us. Um, his name is Chris Williams. Um, Chris is, of all of the defensive backs that I played in in my 16 years of football, I think 16 or 17, I lost count. I can't count CTE because I played that much football. But anyway, is probably my favorite defensive back that I've ever played with. Um, he's a reporter in Waco. He's beat reporter for the uh, Baylor Bears. So we're going to get his take on college football, the Big 12, a lot of things. I mean, I'm excited for it, Bob. It's a guy I haven't talked to in ages. So it's, I think we got a good conversation coming. Anytime that Adam respects a defensive back that my ears perk up, that that's rare territory, rare air. And, uh, you know, obviously our friends down in Waco are near, dear to my heart. So, Adam, we're, you know, two guests now. We're, we're, we're an official podcast. I think we're, we're on to something here. Yeah, we, we've got a place to invite people. Um, a very interesting thing for us. We've gotten very professional. Um, at the time of this taping right now, um, the Eagles are up 34 to 20 on the Packers. Um, I am sacrificing partial, partial part of my attention tonight to make sure that we get this podcast recorded. But it goes without saying, fly Eagles, fly Bob. As always, always. Um, but, um, you know, Adam, we'll, we'll break into it. Where are, we, where are we starting this week for the NFL slate? Like I said, the, the teaser, I mean, <laughs> if you had overs this week, you probably did pretty well in your wallet. Um, but, uh, you know, where are we starting for the action? Yeah, and that trend started pretty early on Thursday. I'm not sure what the over was in this game, but 
I mean, Bills 28, Lions 25. This game was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be, Bob. Um, But the Bills ultimately come out with the victory. What did you think of this one? Yeah, you know, it it wasn't pretty by any stretch. Back-to-back games in Detroit for Buffalo in strange circumstances, really. But, uh, you know, you look at Lions team coming in three in a row. The Money Lions team, Adam, I believe you call them. uh, You know, made it hell for him, to say the least. Josh Allen looked frustrated. The the Bills' sideline in that second half looked dejected. But, you know, when it came down to it, you know, a lot happened in the last three minutes there. But... Uh, you know, Josh Allen, the Bills, just that, that pedigree was just a little bit better than the Lions at that point. They just, you know, just a winning culture there. Yeah, it, it just seemed like that kind of took over. And obviously, you know, we, we've seen a lot of what Dan Campbell's tried to build in Detroit. But at the end of the day, there hasn't been a ton of success. Of course, in the past few weeks, there has been. But, you know, it, it just kind of seemed like it was a good teams win football games, bad teams lose football games. And that's kind of what we got at the end of that Bills-Lions game. But... Uh, speaking of that same narrative there, Bob, good teams win, bad teams lose. Um, two teams who we kind of, they flipped the script this year, to be honest with you, because we were having the Cooper Rush discussions for the Cowboys early in the year. Now Dak's the praise, praise and talk of the town. And then, of course, we were high on the Giants, and they seem to be coming back down to earth. Bob, what did you think of this game? Didn't get the 40-3 to curb stomping like the Cowboys had previously against Minnesota, but... Um... You know, hey, they, they run the ball, and they're going to run it down your throat with Zeke and Pollard. Uh, both those guys got over 15 touches, I believe, over 16 carries for both. Very split backfield. Uh, but, you know, that Cowboys offense, just, you know, a formula. They they run the ball down your throat, and then they sprinkle in CeeDee Lamb and tight ends. And, you know, it worked for them in a division game. doesn't have to be pretty in these divisional games. But, uh, you know, better than anyone out on the NFC beast, it, it's all about winning these games. And, uh, you know, the Cowboys keep stringing these wins along and uh, they're definitely not to be taken lightly in the NFC. Yep. All four teams in the NFC beast are currently in a playoff spot right now. Um, that would be a little bit of history. If that holds, obviously um, getting late to that time of year where you have to start asking, is it going to happen? Is it not? But um, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. Bob, you talked about the Vikings getting curb stomped and this week they kind of returned the favor. I think, Obviously, the Patriots were able to put up some points, but ultimately, Kirk Cousins and the Lions get things done. What did you think of this one? Adam, I'm I'm looking at the time this game happened. Thursday night, Kirk Cousins won a primetime game. Am, am I wrong? 30 for 37, 300 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Kirk Cousins in primetime? Am I, am I wrong? Okay, but let me, let, me, let me throw a theory out here for you because this was a game that a lot of people may have been eating during. So it may have been on the television, but not necessarily the primary focus. Because if, you know, like I, like we kind of alluded to earlier, if mashed potatoes are on the table, they, they've got to be one of your main focus. I mean, and not to mention the gravy. I mean, so maybe with that little bit of distraction, Kirk Cousins had the energy to just come out in prime time and absolutely sling it. I will say, Ad, uh, you know, you said people were eating. If you're eating that late, I, first of all, judge your family. But to also, if you had chose to watch the Patriots-Vikings over the Egg Bowl on Thursday night in Starkville, or I'm sorry, in Oxford, Mississippi, you missed out on that instead. But, uh, you know, hey, that's just a character thing. We'll talk about that after the podcast. We'll, we'll DM you about it regardless. You know, hey, for the Vikings, another win, it, you know, right in the ship. It's something, something, it just means more, has a good ring to it. Yes, that might be what it is. But, uh, hey, regardless yeah. of the Vikings, you know, good comeback after the 40-50 loss. 
they just keep on winning. You know, that's a, that's a, a dangerous team, that receiving core. Say what you want, man. There, there are threats everywhere. Um, pick your poison with them. Yep, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson. We can't say enough good things about that receiving core. Um, obviously, I had my my rant week against the Vikings last week because, you, like you said, they did get curb stomped, so they deserved it a little bit. But obviously, yeah. adjust themselves up, pick themselves off. Good on them. Um, you know, Bob, then we'll get into the uh, Sunday slate here. Um, the Dolphins beat the Texans 30-15, to 15, double up. Uh, no surprises there, Bob. Uh, I mean... This is a weird game, though. I just want to... Adam, this is a weird game because the Dolphins just murdered them to start, and then they they threw Skylar Thompson, the backup quarterback, in through I think four straight three and outs, and I mean the Texans made it a two four game. It got weirdly tight, but it wasn't tight. I don't know. It just was one of those games from an outside perspective. I was kind of watching it, kind of thinking, get weird witching hour. Just you never know. Yeah, I, it's just one of those games that you know sometimes for whatever reason, the box score and the final score is a little bit elusive or not, not elusive. Elusive is not the word, but it, it misleading just necessarily, for sure. Misleading. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. It, it, it's just, we was bamboozled. Things. We were, we were run amok, led astray and flat out lied to because this scorecard being as close as it was, was not indicative of the game. And you will hear Stephen A on first take talk about that tomorrow. But on the Breaking Balls podcast, we will be talking about Mike McDaniel. What a coach. I mean, during the week, I heard a very inspiring speech that he gave about his guys, things to be thankful for. How could you not play hard for this guy, Bob? I know we talk about it every week, but let's sprinkle some more love on the dude. Just so so fun to watch that day. And they got a lot of weapons. It's just, you know, down in Miami, things are clicking. They're right on the Bills Hills, man. Uh, you know, AFC East is a tight, tight battle. Yep. Well, Bob, um, you said that that one was a little bit fun to watch for them, but you know, real fun Dolphins Texans. Let's let's kind of change change gears here, Bob. Maybe turn the page. Something a little less fun because there was a team from Cincinnati that came on into Nissan Stadium today, and regretfully, Bob, um, it, it reminded me a lot of the last time a team from Cincinnati entered the uh, Nissan Stadium. In the playoffs, Bob, as always, it's the Titans. You have the floor. I don't want the floor, but I'll take it. Um, I'm very glad I was not in attendance for that one emotionally. I don't think I would have been here at this podcast. I mean, I don't know if you saw how it ended, Adam. That, uh, you know, roughing the snapper <laughs> on, a, on a field goal to walk it off. It just, you know, heartbreaking Nissan Stadium. It feels like when these two teams get together, it only is, you know, meant to to ruin my uh, emotional state and uh you know hey for the Bengals you know no Jamar Chase no Joe Mixon you go in and beat another division leader uh, you know they ran the ball down the Titans throat let's be quite honest here Samaj P Ryan looked really good Bengals offensive line at times was pretty good uh, and the Titans just you know it seems like they just are so out of sync offensively I just don't know what the deal is Maybe Todd Downing had a few too many before he drove to the stadium this time instead of after. I, I really don't know. But, um, uh, you know, for the Titans, this loss is exactly why I don't believe in them moving forward here. And uh, maybe I'm just being uh, a spur-of-the-moment fan, you know, being, you know, just down in the dumps. But, you know, when it comes down to the bright lights and, you know, the top AFC teams, it seems like the Titans just find a way to not win these games. Yeah, um, it, it's just one of those games that, 
you know, obviously tragic ending there with the rough and the snapper penalty. But on, on paper, when you looked at it before the game, it was Joe Burrow versus Ryan Tannehill. And that that's just one of those things that, I mean, of course, I, I tread lightly because, of course, I, I do enjoy my co-host. He's one of my best friends. But Ryan Tannehill may not be the guy, and we'll have to see what Malik Willis turns into. But, um, you know, Bob... Let's let's move on. Let's 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 just get on the same page so we can make fun of somebody mutually. Um, the Panthers beat the Broncos and Russell Wilson's trash. That's that's really all we need to talk about. Russell Wilson is bad, 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 bad. I'm I'm pulling up the video right now. I just want to make sure I have the lineman's name right. Mike Purcell, uh, the defensive yep, tackle Purcell. from the Broncos, just oh, getting in the yeah. face and yelling at Russ. Maybe just everyone's frustrated at the losing now. I think they're three and eight, I believe, losing to the Darnold-led Panthers. Uh, or maybe, you know, things are finally hitting their boiling point with Russell Wilson in that locker room. I don't know. Don't want to speculate. But from an outside perspective, you know, this is the first time we've seen somebody kind of blow up a Russell uh, from the Broncos side. So uh, I'm very curious to see how it is moving forward. I'm sure they'll say internally, no big deal. But, uh, you know, when these losses stack up, it's easy to say it. It's another thing to show it. Yeah, uh, just more meme material. I mean, Russell Wilson's given us nothing but meme material all year. And the, you know, the captions of the things that, you know, Purcell could be yelling at Russell Wilson, they're endless. I mean, some of them have been hilarious. I've seen stop saying let's ride, all, all of them. I mean, you know how Twitter is. You, It's just one of those things. It's going to get beat to death. But, I mean, that's just the Broncos. I mean, it, it, it's literally, we don't mean to, you know, beat a dead horse here, pun intended. But they... They just don't have any life to them. There's no life to the offense. They don't seem to believe in what's going on there at all. Nathaniel Hackett seems to have lost the locker room before he even had a chance to get it. And it, it just seems like the Broncos are in more turmoil in a season when they thought they spent enough money to not have any. So just a crazy uh, Before we move on to the next game, Adam, um, Aaron Rodgers has gone to the locker room with an oblique injury. So, uh, you know, moving forward for Packers fans, that's just another wrinkle uh, for their season here. Uh, but I digress. The Jordan Love era about to begin, it looks like. Uh, anyway. Oh, boy. Uh, enough, of that. enough about that. Enough about our problems. What, where are we going next? I don't know what you're talking about problems. Go Eagles fly, Eagles fly. Um, all right, Bob. So we're going to go ahead and a bit of a surprise because there was a lot of turmoil surrounding this team all week and a surprise starter on the other team. It's the jets and the bears. Um, <laughs> Trevor Simeon. How's it going? <laughs> nice to know you're still in the league. We appreciate it. Um, this was two quarterback. There was, a, you know, we, I think we saw him. Did we see Mike white in this game? We almost maybe saw him. Well, we did. White. We saw oh, Mike we white, saw Mike big white, Mike white baby. game. Uh, don't want to give too much time to this game. It doesn't deserve it, in my opinion. Good for the Jets. Big win, uh, you know, right in the ship with the, the turmoil last week. But you know, for the Bears, no Justin Fields. They had Nathan Peterman scheduled to start. Then at the last minute said, oh, maybe it's not. Maybe it's Simeon. It's it's Simeon. I, I, just a strange game all around there. Uh, Jets ended up winning this one and pretty comfortably. Uh, you know, it just kind of shows the talent levels on the rosters outside the quarterback level to me. Yeah, um, maybe Zach Wilson's the issue. Um, we can get into that on another episode, but let's move on from this game. Um, you know, another decent colorway for Taylor Heineke to work work with here. This one a little bit harder to earn, 19-13 win over the Falcons. Bob, did you catch this one? Did, did. At the very end, uh, you know, the Falcons, 
had every chance to to win this game here. I had uh, they drove down down six, I think, with two minutes left. Got to the two yard line. Instead of running the ball, throw it with Marcus Mariota. When, you know they've got a great run team built around Aljire and Cordero Patterson, and they they throw the ball with Marcus. Gets picked off in the end zone. Okay, well, hey, you get one more chance. They get all three timeouts. They stop them, and then the Commanders line up to punt and they rough the punter. I mean, just tough loss for the Falcons with the NFC uh, South wide open. Really, really tough loss. Then it felt like a winnable game. And, you know, for the commanders, Taylor Heineke, man, just, you know, finds a way to, to do enough to get this team to win. And you know, say what you want. Like you said, every NFC East team is in the playoffs right now. You know, what a turnaround he's had for that team, which has had talent and has just lost a lot of close games. I know when the Titans played them back in week four or five, it was a pick in the end zone from Wentz. Maybe Taylor Heineke doesn't throw that ball. Maybe he throws a touchdown. I'm not saying, you know, what ifs, what ifs. It's a long thing, but. You know, games like that are decided by your quarterback play, and Taylor Heineke's winning the games for the commanders that Carson Wentz was losing. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. You hit the nail on the head. Um, just good to see that organization go in the right direction. Um, you saw the Sean Taylor statue they unveiled that's more like a cold I, mannequin. I mean, I don't know just, what that was. I mean, we, Somebody just, needs I to mean, be fired. We're details guys here, obviously, on the Breaking Bells podcast. The Reebok pants with the Nike jersey. Um, the no tape on the face mask, it, it just, it was the biggest slap in the face to your fans. And I didn't want it to go unsaid because that's just, it, it's not right to disgrace one of your, you know, one of your franchise's best players who was tragically killed. I mean, what's, just, just what's awful. new? Yeah. What's new with the, Death with the, Texas. with the Washington franchise, Dan Snyder. Yeah. The damn command skins can't get anything right. And speaking of people that can't get anything right, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Duck Buccaneers. Man, oh man, drop an overtime game to the Cleveland Browns. This feels like a dagger, Bob. I'm not going to lie. This feels like one of those losses that really kind of takes the wind out of the sails. Seemed like they had a little bit of momentum going. What'd you think of this one? Blew, blew the game. No, they had every opportunity. They, you know, they were down early. They came back, took a lead, and then, you know, just let Jacoby Brissett and the Browns battle back in. Let me tell you what, Adam, there is some man from the greater Massachusetts area, probably Lowell, Massachusetts or somewhere, that is saying, you know what? I was telling them back then in 2014, Jacoby Brissett, this kid out of NC State, he's going to be better than Tom Brady one day. You got to watch for him. And lo and behold, Jacoby Brissett went in and beat Tom Brady. It just shows the week-to-week in the NFL is just so topsy-turvy. But for the uh, the Bucks, man, they've just got so many issues that division's a dumpster fire. Nobody's over 500 after Thanksgiving, which is not a good sign. Somebody's going to win it. It's probably going to be the Bucks, just because they have Tom Brady and the NFL needs that. But, uh, you know, man, as far as the Bucks making, you know, a long, long playoff run, I don't I don't know. They're going to have to do a lot of things different. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we leaned on their defense for a while, or at least I did in a lot of my analysis with thinking, hey, you know what, maybe when the interior line gets healthy and that defense is good enough to kind of hold up, but it just seems to not be the case there at all. Um, You know, Thanksgiving really is a crazy uncle take holiday, so I'm glad you mentioned the man from Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, You know, it's a time when families get together, crazy things happen, and just I I can picture it. I close my eyes and I see it. Just some proud Irish guy sitting in his living room in wool. Just oh, that Jacoby Brissett, Bobby. Let me tell you, I I I I, I can see. I told you. I told you. I told you. 
told you. <laughs> well, Bob, it finally happened. We've been talking about it all year. We've said, how, how do the Ravens play this badly in the fourth quarter and get away with it? And finally, of all people, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence make them pay for it. Bob, you have the floor. Go ahead. Uh, Sunshine did it. You know, the Jags went down. It wasn't pretty by any stretch. You thought, oh, there's no chance that the Jags go down here, march down the field and score. And they do. And then they go for two. Give them credit, man. Doug Peterson, he's aggressive. And, you know, when Justin Tucker lined up for 67-yard field goal at the end, most people thought it was going in. That's ridiculous that we even give him that credit. But just shows you how good Justin Tucker is, Adam. But, hey, for the Jags, big win. For the Ravens, they played with fire a lot, and they finally get burned against a lower team. They play their competition, it feels like. Yeah, um, we just, you know, it's just one of those things. I feel like we are vindicated here. We've been talking about it for a long time, how they've been really, really bad at the end of these games, and finally came back to bite them. So all credit to the Jags for doing their thing and down in Duval and winning a game. Um, Bob, we're going to move on next to a game, the Raiders of the Seahawks. This was a game that nobody wanted more of, but for some reason they decided it was necessary to give us overtime. Bob, what do you think? Uh, you know, you watch the Seahawks. They really needed this game, especially with the Niners right on their heels for the NFC West title. Uh, but, you know, credit to Josh Jacobs, man. When the Raiders said, no, we don't want that fifth-year contract for him, and this dude turned into Bo Jackson or something, man. I mean, he is just... Uh, over 220 yards today, two touchdowns, that 84-yard touchdown in overtime. I mean, the dude was just – he has really injected life into that offense. And, uh, you know, for the Raiders, feels like they can win any game, they can lose any game. You really don't know what you're going to get with them. For the Seahawks, kind of the same thing, to be honest with you. Geno's going to keep you in every game, but you know, he'll take a bad sack here and there. I know in overtime, you know, took the sack on third down to, to give the ball back and – it just shows you how every possession matters. But, um, you know, two teams that both wanted to give it back to each other. And, you know, at the end, the Raiders way just kind of Al Davis still has some pull in the league, I think. But uh, the Raider way just prevailed. Yep. Uh, just win, baby. And that's what they did there at the end. Um, we're going to talk about now two teams that have definitely not had a winning culture. The Chargers and the Cardinals. Who wanted to win less? And the Chargers finally stepped up and won a game and absolutely roasted Kyler Murray on social media afterwards with the Call of Duty video. I mean, chef's kiss. I mean, good social media chargers, just, just incredible social media from the chargers. It's amazing. It, it, it really is. You know, the, the Adam, the Cardinals looked like they were going to win all game. And then the chargers found a way somehow to not charger it. I, they went for two just like the Jags, and, you know, teams being aggressive this week, it paid off. I love seeing coaches put their nuts on the table. Um, no homo, but uh, regardless, I just I, – I, I'm, I'm glad to see aggressive play calling pays off. Agreed. Every now and again, it's good to see somebody roll the dice and hit. Um, you know <laughs> – this this I couldn't get over how this was so reverse Chargers. The Cardinals found a way to outcharger the Chargers, and it almost broke my mind in the middle of the day here. I mean, it just ugh. it shouldn't happen. It, no, it shouldn't, and and that's the thing. It's the way, Cliff Kingsbury. I, I just please start selling your home, or just put it on the market. Just it's time to start putting some feelers out there. I mean, oh my goodness, um, Bob. 
we're going to move on to a game that I wish didn't happen, but obviously an Italian man steps up and is just a straight winner because Jimmy A.O. Garoppolo beats the Saints 13-0. to That 49ers defense was absolutely lights out today. Not a ton of offensive firepower for the Saints, but that being said, Nick Bosa and the gang, I mean, what what a performance. That Niners defense is just, you know, they're mean, they're tough. You're not going to get any yards on them. It's not going to be easy. If you, if you do get yards on them, if you get down in the red zone, they're going to make life hell on you. And you know, the Saints got a couple of chances where they had, you know, scoring opportunities. And just, you know, when it came down to they needed touchdowns, the, the Niners bend but don't break defense happened. Uh, they've got too many playmakers on the ball. And Adam, I'm going to give you a take here. You know, the Big Ten going after USC, going after UCLA. The Niners are pretty much a Big Ten team. They run the ball, they've got a good tight end, and they play strong defense, and you know they don't ask their quarterback to do too much, just don't turn it over. The Niners are a Big Ten team, and they play like it today. They play like Iowa or Illinois. And hey, it won. Doesn't have to be pretty, uh, but the Big Ten Niners showed their face today. Yeah, uh, who would have thought that the Niners were just a more mature and grown-up Iowa? But I guess at the end of the day, that's that's really what we're dealing with. I mean, they... They control the hell out of the ball. They've got a lot of different ways to beat you running. I mean, at this point, they seem to have found a winning formula. Um, Yeah, like I said, you know, the Saints are shorthanded. They aren't necessarily at their uh, full offensive firepower. But anytime you shut somebody out in the NFL, I mean, that's massively impressive. So all credit to the 49ers. Um, We're going to start, you know, or not start, but move on, if you will. To a team that's been underperforming, one team humming like a nicely fine-tuned machine. It was Rams Jets, twenty-six to ten. I said Jets, I meant Chiefs. Oh God! It's the first time Bob. that the Chiefs and the Jets have ever been uh, mistaken for each other. But hey, you know we make first here breaking balls all the time. Adam, I'll take over for this one. Let me, why don't you sit back, Adam? The the, the St. Louis, formerly known as the L.A. Rams. They went into Arrowhead Stadium, took on Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, and, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't Matt Stafford at quarterback. It was Mr. Perkins at quarterback, and, uh, you know, that Virginia alum showed his, his face. They were spry. They were tough, but uh, just couldn't get the job done. What were your thoughts today in Arrowhead? Um, you know, Bob, it, it's just getting hard to watch the Rams because, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Um, it, it's just so hard to think how – close to this team. It's the reigning defending Super Bowl champions, and it's just an absolute dumpster fire. Um, I, I just, I got nothing for it at this point. I just, they're hopeless. They're dead. I don't have anything to say about them. The Chiefs, on the other hand, just go out and they win football games. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, another pedestrian day, goes out and does his thing. So there, there's really not a ton to say about this one, Bob. It's just the Rams are going to ram and the Chiefs are going to chief at the end of the day. No, I mean, the Chiefs defense is just, uh, they played well the last few weeks. We'll say the Rams played hard. They played really well in the red zone. Ben, but didn't break. Uh, the Chiefs, I think, were one for four in the red zone today. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs uh, against uh, a backup quarterback with the Rams. No Cooper Cup, just you know, a recipe to, to sink versus swim there. Yeah, just never really seemed like they had a chance to get off the ground. You could use whatever metaphor you want. The Rams are terrible. And it's just, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's not great there right now, Bob. And it's just, 
I don't see it getting any better. So, mm-hmm. well, Bob, at this point of the recap, we've got about 12 minutes left in the Eagles Packers game, 34 to 23. We are not going to stay on that entire time. But on the other side of this, when you hear me next, you will be in another dimension of sight and sound because we're going to be talking a little bit of college football with Chris Williams live from Waco, Texas. And Bob, any last words on these NFL games? Uh, You know, a lot of points. I hope everyone had the overs out there Uh, entertaining. I hope your team won and uh, you're excited to talk a little rivalry week with Chris and, uh, uh, you know, Heard he was a very gritty, gritty defensive back, uh, almost extinct defensive back. But uh, we'll talk about that probably uh, here in a little bit. A real rare breed, Bob. So without further ado, we're at the other side of this. We're going to send it to Chris. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot say enough good things about our guest that we've got tonight. Chris Williams, an old teammate, a good friend, one of the only defensive backs I actually have a nice thing to say about. He's all dressed up. He's here live from Waco. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Williams. Look, I'm not going to come on here and not be dressed up suit and tie. I respect you too much, Adam. I, I had to go, you know, full suit and tie. You know, um, respect is an interesting word. Um, I, I see you use it very loosely. But nonetheless, Chris, I thank you so much for being here, buddy. Uh, oh, man. I, I mean, welcome, welcome to the Breaking Balls podcast, really. This is it. Thank you. It, it's about time. I heard you've been just trashing Waco. It's about time I come in here and defend my hometown. Not my well, hometown, we, we, we don't trash it as much as we just talk about how sometimes it, it got a little explosive. I mean, that's just at the end of the day. There's proofs in the pudding. You got to check your history. That's just what it is. You know, listen, you said defend Waco. We're not even going to go that route. But, uh, Chris, I did hear that you were a teammate of Adams once upon a time. You know, obviously, after the podcast, we'll have to talk about stories about that. But um, a Chapman alum, I feel like I'm in a presence of some some greats here for Bob Owens, uh, for Bob Owens' Syac crew. Yeah, you know, I got two rings to show for it, a couple Sky championships. Uh, Adam was a little late to the Chapman party, so I think he only got the second ring. Whereas yeah. I was on punt return team, so I really worked hard to earn that one, Adam, getting those those four snaps a game freshman year. So I uh, I got that on you. Yeah, well, it's always one of those things. They say if you find your way on the field as a college freshman, you're doing something right. And, Chris, that honestly, as far as the teammate goes, you were always the guy who was doing things right. You, you know, team captain our senior year, one of those guys I would follow just about anywhere. I love you to death. So, Chris, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? I mean, actually, no, let's let's – Let's take it back because I think you've got an interesting perspective and an interesting childhood. I know about it vaguely. So why don't you give us a breakdown? Where are you from, Chris? How'd you get to, how'd you get to Chapman? How did you end right. up meeting All me? All right. I'll, I'll hit you with a quick rundown. I don't want to bore you with too many details, but I was, I was born in a small town, Elko, Nevada, actually. And uh, before I was even a year old, my family moved to Santiago, Chile. Uh, my first word other than mom and dad was agua. I used to get thirsty in the night. And then uh, I was still under under three years old when we moved to Toronto, just outside Toronto. Go Leafs go, of course, the cup. You know, it's about time it comes back to Toronto, and I have a feeling it's going to be, you know, not in the next 10, 15, 20 years. We're definitely cursed, but we're holding out hope for it. Uh, but from there, we moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. That's where I went to high school. And then uh, Chapman was just calling my name and, that's where I got the pleasure of meeting and playing alongside alongside you, O'Shea, and getting a degree in broadcast journalism, and now uh, 
can't play sports anymore. So I'm, you know, just like you guys, we can't play it anymore. So we, uh, we just sit here and talk about it instead. Right. Amen. I mean, it's, it's, help. go ahead. Say, it's, it's, it's timely. You're on here, Chris. I hear that you're a rare breed here. Uh, you know, with the Packers Eagles finishing up tonight, Eagles DB, one of the one of the the, the DBs is a uh, a fair skinned fella. You don't see many of them out there in the secondary. He had a pick tonight on Aaron Rodgers. And Chris, I heard you were a DB at, at Chapman. Is that correct? Yeah, I'll tell you what. You see a lot more DBs that look like me at the D three level. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see that much. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, it was a uh, it was a tough position. It, it didn't come without me giving up a few touchdowns here and there. Uh, the one against Linkfield and the home opener senior year still stings a little bit O'Shea I don't know what I was thinking on that one but yeah it was it was a lot of fun you know Chris has probably stories out the ass of me just coming off the sideline and being so tired and just yelling (laughs) random things because I was not a nice human being when I was uh when I was tired so um and luckily I didn't spend too much time conditioning so I was often tired so I was a pretty angry individual there for a while but um Chris, honestly, <laughs> just just thinking back, the way that the Chapman in, in its whole, in its entirety, Chapman, it's just it's just such a different place. And to think that we were able to kind of bring the program to where it was, and to finally get that Sky Act Championship our senior year, it's one of those things that, as I was preparing to kind of talk to you about it. When I think about it, I just think of how much freaking fun we had. But when you sit back and think about our time winning the Skyac at Chapman, D3 glory days, what do you think of it? What do you what do you make of that season? And I, I don't know if there's another group in the nation that balances partying with working hard as well as we did, right? We, we were working hard. We were putting in the hours. But that didn't mean we weren't going to the D every Thursday as well. So there's a little bit of both. Um, actually, Adam – there was something, so I was talking to, to one of the college baseball coaches out here. It was, it was a casual conversation, so I don't want to, you know, yeah, blast gotcha. his name out there. But he was just, I was talking to him about how, you know, he has a lot of great kids on the roster and stuff. And he goes, I, we do. A lot of great kids do things the right way. But he goes, you don't win championships with all great kids. You need some edge. You need some guys who have edge out there. And I was like, you know, we had a few guys who, uh, who were fighting the offensive linemen five days a week at practice. And, uh, you know, it was great. And then as soon as we got the locker room, cracking jokes, funny guy on the team. But you, you brought that extra edge to the team. And so I uh, hearing it from a coach really made me appreciate that other part. I feel like our senior group was special that way, doing things the right way, but just the right amount of edge without, you know, without getting arrested. Bob, we I can't we honestly and the best part is it's the truth, though. I mean, we were 60 40. I mean. It was 60% kids doing things the right way and 40% guys just kind of going off the rails and adding a little bit of edge. I mean, there are so many dudes on that Chapman team that I think about that are literally cartoon characters. I mean, Ben Briglio, I'll I'll say his name. He's a cartoon character. Bob, this kid did not even believe that the state of Utah existed. Thought it was a myth. And was from Long Island. Was from Long Island. He's a, yeah, just a, a, a New Yorker just decided, you know what, Utah doesn't exist. And I pray to God he's listening to this because that man is engaged somehow. So congratulations, Ben. We, we, we wish you nothing. Utah is happens. a bold one. Utah's the bold state to go out on a limb there. Like, you know, one of the Dakotas, maybe. You know, I don't think Corvallis, Oregon's a real place. I've been on record on this podcast, but 
Um, Chris, if you've been there, please tell me it's a real place. But um, I haven't. I haven't. I don't know if I've been. I like you. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I stand. We're over two now on guests been to Corvallis here, Adam. So that's not great. But uh, yeah. uh, you know, Chris, you obviously you talked about talking to coaches, and you're on the media side now. Going from that player side to the media side, what is it like? You probably just see it from such a different perspective. Is, is it just so refreshing to see it from a different side of eyes? Yes and no. It's a little bit – it's weird because it's like I see things differently than all of the other media around. So, like, the questions I'm asking and the things that I'm looking at are a different angle, and sometimes that's good. You know, obviously the sports writers who have been in Waco forever, they're great at their job. They know what questions to ask. From that standpoint, I just, it is weird knowing that I see things differently. And I just, I honestly feel like because I'm a player, I've had that ability to connect with coaches on a different way where you can talk to them differently. And so, but let me tell you, every single, whether it's a high school game on a Friday night, of course, in Texas, that's huge, or, or a college football game, every single time I'm on that sideline, they play the anthem, get the chills, you know, kind of tear, I start to tear up a little bit. You, you get that feeling inside. So I don't know if that'll ever go away. I hope it does because it's depressing every time I have to remind myself that I'm not playing, but it's been fun to still at least be involved, still, you know, be there for these big sports moments and and be able to spotlight other athletes who are living out their dream and and doing such great things. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. I've always kind of followed you from afar. Um, Obviously we don't talk all the time, but try and slide in the DMs every now and again. But obviously before you were in Waco, just to kind of take it back before we kind of get into the present day stuff, beautiful Omaha, Nebraska. So you're exploring a good deal of the, of the uh, Midwest and now, you know, the deep South per se, home of Dr. Pepper. But I, I just want to get a little bit of a taste of what was <laughs> Omaha like for you? I mean, I, I couldn't imagine, especially pandemic time, how much or how much, how was that? You're chuckling at Omaha. I was not even in. I was in a town two hours north of Omaha. It's called North Fork, Nebraska, but it's spelled with an L. It was supposed to be the North Fork of the Elkhorn River, but the map guy spelled it wrong, so they just stuck with calling it North Fork, spelled with an L. Town of about 25,000 up there. So I, I know Midwest. I know that living. Uh, Omaha's honestly, Omaha and Lincoln, but especially Omaha, it's a, it's a fun city. There's quite a bit going on. I'll tell you the great thing about being in uh, small town Nebraska during COVID was they didn't close the bars. They didn't shut stuff down. I wasn't, you know, working from home. My life barely changed during 2020. (laughs) I was still going to the office every day and then going to the bar on Friday and Saturday nights. So, and I mean, they still had basketball, they still had football. So I liked that, but it was definitely, it was eye opening. Um, Just, it was cool to see how much, sports mean to the small towns that I was covering. You know, we cover a lot of eight-man football up there. I still cover small towns out here in Texas, but it was kind of eye-opening and cool to see, like, you hear about it, you read about it, how these small towns rally around their teams, and being in small town Nebraska, seeing it firsthand, it was cool. So I, I definitely got an appreciation for that. Okay, so we've got a lot of football fans who listen to this podcast who have probably never even heard of eight-man football. So really quickly, give everybody a little synopsis of what eight-man football looks like, who's eligible, that type of thing for us real quick. Yeah, so eight-man, they they just pretty much drop it. You know, you just drop your tackle. Six-man is where you get wild. Six-man, every player on the field is eligible. And in six-man, because we used to broadcast the six-man state championship in Nebraska live on our station every year. Everyone's everyone's eligible. You cannot throw the ball 
No, no, no. You can't run the ball unless it's a lateral. Yeah. So oftentimes your your running back is taking the snap and then pitching it to your quarterback, and then he can throw it or run with it. I, I don't know. It was it is fun to watch though. It, it is like a different sport. Um, it, you would be exhausted. You'd be angry the whole time because there'd be about two plays and you'd be just exhausted and angry at him. A lot of a lot of running. I I always thought that it would be kind of fun to be eligible, but at the end of the day, I I don't think I had the stamina for it. So. Let's just be realistic. Yeah, yeah. It would be fun. Of course. Well, so now you're in Waco covering the Bears. Um, tell You know, I just – what do you – what is that experience like being on the sideline every week for, you know, mostly Baylor games? I see you often, you know, with the Sikkim Bears and all sorts of things. I love your content. So what – you know, as what has transitioned since you've been in Waco? How is – how crazy are they about the Bears? They are pretty crazy on it. Helps that my first season covering them was, you know, most wins in program history, win the Big 12 championship, win the Sugar Bowl, and all of that six months after the basketball team just won the national championship. So, you know, I, I couldn't speak for a few years ago. I'll tell you the same sports writers I mentioned earlier. Some of them tell me like, oh, you don't get it. We, we had 20 years of six and six seasons and you came in just in time for for the good stuff. But I mean, they, this fan base is getting more excited. Waco is continuing to grow. Baylor university just hit 20,000 enrollments of the schools, you know, still tiny compared to the A&Ms and the UTs of the world, but it's growing too. And, and it's been a good time to be around Baylor athletics. And then this year was the first year I was able to actually travel with the team. So I, I covered all 12 Baylor games. I was on the sideline for all, all six wins and all six losses, but it was cool just to being on the road with them. I feel like, you know, being in Morgantown on a Thursday night, you just feel like you build a connection with the players and the coaches more when you're, you feel like you're more in the trenches with them. And so it's been really fun. And I know, you know, you don't root for the teams you cover. You're not supposed to, but you can't help, but you want them to succeed because these are guys that you're seeing, you know, we're talking to Dave Aranda every Monday and then every Saturday after the game, you're talking to them all off season. You're talking to the guys, you build a camaraderie with them. So you don't want to be a homer, but you want to support the guys that you, you know, and I, I hope that they can end the season on a high note for that exact reason. Cause I think the senior class deserves it. Hey Chris, I have a question just because like, I know you haven't had boots on the ground as long as some, like you've said, but you know, in the last 15 years or so Baylor's had a rebuild to, you know, high success, about three different coaching staffs. Most schools, if you have that time period, maybe get it right once. And Baylor's gotten it right three different times. Is it something about Baylor specifically that, or is it the people in staff that do it right? It just that's a rare thing to see in college athletics. It, it definitely is a rare thing. the The biggest thing, and and even there's a lot of Baylor fans who won't want to hear this, but the biggest thing that Baylor football has is Art Riles. You know, they had some good times under Grant Taft. They had some good times over the years, competed for some, but Art Riles is what turned them into a national powerhouse. And when they started leading the nation in scoring. They build the new, brand new, gorgeous, multi-million-dollar stadium on the river where you can tailgate on your boat coming in. And I don't care what anyone says. The drive, so the drive down from Dallas or even from the Waco Airport, you take I-35 and you come around a bend, and all you see in your windshield is McLean Stadium, huge. I'm getting kind of chills talking about it, and I see it all the time. It's just McLean Stadium, this gorgeous, lit up 24/7. Again, people aren't thrilled about that. During the ice storms a couple of years ago when a lot of people didn't have power, 
McLean oh, stadium, the stadium was still lit up and the bridge next to it was lit up green. So you <laughs> see there, but it's gorgeous. And so he built it. He loaded the stables. A lot of people left a handful stayed guys like Jalen Peachy, Terrell Bernard that we saw last year, um, Tristan Ebner, Tristan Ebner, they stayed and were able to, then when Matt Rule came in, they stayed with him, and Matt Rule's able to – I think he's going to have success in Nebraska because he can get guys to play for him. You know, he's a guy that, that you want to play for, you want to show up for. So he was a special coach for turning the program around. And then they still had that left over a little bit when Dave Aranda showed up. So it was like, yes, they've had the bounce back years, but it hasn't been a full rebuild. Art Riles was the true rebuild. And then, I mean, what Matt Rule did – with a program that was on the brink of the death penalty. And, you know, four years later, they're in the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma. Their only losses that year against a playoff team, Oklahoma, twice. It's pretty special. So I think the jury's still out a little bit on what Aranda's long-term success will look like. I think he'll do well, but this year's been eye-opening going from, I think fans were expecting 10-plus wins from here on out. And I still think there's some work to do, getting some recruits in, getting some more four and five star guys in before they'll be that consistent program. Well, it definitely seems like they're headed in that direction, but you know, you kind of touched on it there with Matt rule signing into Nebraska. Um, obviously it's a school that has struggled. <laughs> Honestly, calling it struggling over the past few years here would be uh, putting it nicely for Nebraska. Um, I know that that is something that you may or may not have a little bit of a, a rooting interest in there, Chris. So what do you think of lovely Matt Rule headed to Nebraska? I want your opinion on it. I love it. I love it. I was rooting for it all along before Rule was even fired. I didn't want to see him get fired. Look, I, I'm a fan of Matt Rule. I, I don't know if you know this, Adam, but my older brother went to Baylor. So I followed this program during Art Briles, followed it with Rule as a fan and liked him. But what really stuck out to me, because a lot of people here are hurt and still root against him because he left for the NFL, even though he said he wanted to stay. But the guys who played for him continued to praise him and their families, who I interviewed for various stories, continued to praise that man to this day. You'll see him on Twitter for that hire. So that makes me believe, okay, the players and their families want him to succeed. I should still want him to succeed. And I think he's the right energy for Nebraska. They need excitement They've gone stale. They've become a bit of a laughing. People like to make fun of them, even though they've been in games and stuff. So I think he's good. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how his recruiting style mixed in with NIL capabilities in a state like Nebraska, where you are the big show. You know, you're going to be on every billboard in the state. I think he has a good shot to turn around. And uh, yeah, Adam, I do have vested interest, but I'm I'm rooting for him fully. Like that's if I had to, to root for a team to win the Big Ten, it's going to be Nebraska from here on out. You mentioned the NIL. Uh, I, you know, obviously you played. It was not a thing back when when Chapman was when you were back there. But uh, I'm sure you guys would have loved that. But I mean, oh, Paul's dude, cocktails you... would have been giving out vouchers like it was nothing. But oh, um, dude, could you imagine I... the Paul's cocktail sponsorship I would have received? The NIL deal that I would have gotten for Paul's cocktails. <laughs> it would have been Adam's oh. cocktails by the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> But no, with the NIL, obviously, it's a huge change. And you obviously, being in the athlete situation, you're seeing it now from the reporter side. How is a school like Baylor, you know, a private school, they've got a lot of wealthy donors. How are they using that to their advantage, or are they? Are they kind of lacking? Whereas a school like, you know, you see USC, Tennessee, I'm curious to see how Nebraska starts to handle that. How does Baylor hit that? You know, Baylor, 
the fan base, the type of people who go to Baylor, it, it's a much more uh, traditional type of view of things. So I, I, not that they're anti-NIL, but I think when it's first been coming out, and, and I, I mean, I'll be the first to say that to just go from zero to 100 with that, like, hey, we're going no <laughs> guidelines to like, eh, whatever, you know? Bold. I, I don't know who was in that room <laughs> making that decision, but I don't know about it. But, uh, you know, there, there's like, there's collectives in Waco where, you know, you pay in, and uh, you can get a jersey, you can get an RG3 signed jersey out of it and stuff. And that money is spread evenly among the team. So there's definitely those, those are out there. You're not going to see the Quinn Ewers, you know, you're not going to have a five-star quarterback transfer to Baylor for a multi-million dollar deal, right? You're not mm-hmm. going to get the A&M, you know, they, they don't have that. I, I'm sure Baylor, I mean, they don't have the, the big alumni. They do have a lot of wealth and a lot of wealthy donors and it shows I mean, they're building a brand new basketball arena, Foster Pavilion, that's on the water, gorgeous. They have the money, but the viewpoint, I don't think, is a viewpoint of we want to pay the most to get the best. And uh, But I think part of that also is the culture of Baylor's football program isn't bringing the best talent you can. I mean, you see an A&M team miss, don't even go to a bowl game after signing the top recruiting class. You see Texas, I mean, they're thrilled to be winning eight games this year. That's crazy to think that a team that's a perennial top 10 recruiting class is so you know i think it could work for baylor even if they don't have the the money they're not paying it out but yeah i don't expect to see baylor competing dollar bills wise with the schools that you mentioned yeah that makes sense i mean especially a and m i mean they just throw money around like crazy um at least they got a little bit of their money's worth this weekend um so you were in College Station for the uh, kind of the upset of the weekend with LSU and Texas A&M. Nobody really gave A&M a shot in that game. Tell us, what was it like in College Station to watch that upset? Sorry, when you say nobody gave a shot, does that mean nobody that's, you know, in this podcast right now put money on A&M to win that game? Is that what I'm hearing? I mean, couldn't couldn't be me. Couldn't. <laughs> Couldn't be me. I listen. Jimbo pays enough for those kids to play about three or four games a year, and you know this was one on the schedule. They you know had the talent to match with them, so I figured might as well cash in. You know, I am with you though. I had a hunch. I had a hunch. I don't know why. And like a few weeks out, I was just like, I've always felt like the scariest teams are the ones that have the talent, but they're not quite putting it together. Because as soon as they do, you know, what are you going to do about it, right? And that's. That's why you see a, a team like like Oklahoma this year had some wins that they probably shouldn't have had just because they have the talent, even though they were not a good football program this year. And so I, I've always, you know, I felt like it was there. Um, that stadium is massive. And I was at Daryl Royal Stadium in Austin on Friday morning, and then I was there, and they're about seat about the same. But something about Kyle Field just felt bigger. Oh, it's you know the fans were. I mean, I, the atmosphere down there in Austin was amazing, and I and I hate the Longhorns, and I it was amazing. But Kyle Field, everyone is just like chanting together. It, it gets a little culty at times, and you know. I was gonna ask, is it is it a cult down there? I've I've got some suspicions. I'm not sure I can throw accusations having lived in Utah and now Waco, but I, I know a thing or two about cult. You know the, what it's like to be around. You know some cult. red flags. It's definitely there, but it's <laughs> a cult that if I went to AM, I'd gladly be a part of, right? Because it. They have fun doing it down there, and I have some, you know, a lot of my coworkers went to A&M, and they go to the games. But that atmosphere, you would not think that they were a, a four-win team coming into the game because it was still loud, and, and they were they were in it to win it. Put it on the quote card, though. Chris Williams would drink the Kool-Aid 
for the record. You just want that on the record, Chris? Chris would buy into the <laughs> the Jimbo Fisher cult that they've got rocket down there in well, lovely college the station. Side of whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, man, it's your words, not mine. I'm just saying. We all heard it. We can all go check the tape. It's okay. Hey, I, I heard that after this win that old Jimmy Sexton was asking for another extension. So, A&M, if you've got some deeper pockets, you don't have to buy them out. You can just extend it another year. What's another $80 million? It's fine. Not a big it's, deal. It's nothing. And I do want to go back. When we were talking about Nebraska NIL money, for them to spend seven million extra dollars to get rid of Scott Frost a week earlier, to go fourteen million instead of seven million for his buyout, I think that shows that Nebraska has the money. Where if they, you know, if they can put it in the right places, they're going to succeed. But yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know about a ninety million dollar buyout. That's, I don't know. I mean, ninety mil. If any, if there was ever a team that was going to be able to put it together and have the deep pocketbooks. That, you know, all we really need for that to happen is maybe the price of oil to go up a little bit. I mean, supply and demand. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe they all get together at some point, Jimbo and Texas A&M, if things tend to go sour. And they say, look, you don't want to be here. I don't, you know, we don't want you here. Why don't you take a little bit of less money and leave? Who knows? But um, I just from that point, I just curious, as far as covering a game like that in College Station, what does your day look like? I mean, what did... What time does it start? I mean, what what all goes into it? Obviously, you know, a lot of the time I see you working your own camera, doing a lot of things like that. So why don't, why don't you give us a taste of what it's like to be on the sideline covering a game in College Station? Yeah, so Baylor games, we rolled deep. Uh, we had three people down there in Austin. But because this was A&M, they're, they're a little further from us. Still, obviously, a lot of fans in our area and a lot of interest. But this was a solo mission for me. Um, I went out there... I, I did UMHB, who uh, Adam O'Shea and I just narrowly lost by 44 points to in the playoffs our senior year. They're in our viewing area. And um, so I, I was paying attention, watching their game in the morning, making sure we got that dialed in, then headed down there, got to Aggieland around 4, 4.30, and was over to the stadium shooting some pregame stuff with all the fans for our 6 o'clock news. And then, uh, you know, down on the sideline, I actually filmed – the video that I use for my highlights. So I'm down there with the camera, but this is the weirdest thing. So I don't, how many games have you guys seen? How many college football games have you guys seen where the fans stormed the field and then they had to be taken off the field, you know, for one more play? Not a, not a lot. There's two that I can think of. It was Baylor, Oklahoma last year when Dave Aranda called the timeout so we could kick a field goal already up. Oh, yes. And then it happened on Saturday. So I've been at the two times that I can remember (laughs) history that they stormed the field and then someone called the timeout and they had to re-clear it off again. So that was, I don't know, there's something weird going on that I happen to be there for the two times that it goes down like that. I mean, it was a shame for Brian Kelly and his family to head on down to College Station and lose like that. I mean... Who'd have thought? I mean, for for Brian, it's it's they had such a gold opportunity. Year one, you can go to the playoff. I thought that team was a fraud, to be quite honest with you. But uh, you know, they still had the opportunity. And then, out of any game, you go to Texas A and M in the last game of the regular season. You sleepwalk through it. I mean, they're out of the playoffs now. And I know, Chris, we'll talk about the playoff picture in a second. Adam, I'm curious what you think about the playoff picture. Is is USC in? Is TCU already safe? Uh, I feel like Georgia doesn't have to do anything this weekend. They could, I mean, just show up and walk through. 
Yeah, I mean, it gets interesting, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of the conference games, there's, you know, I, I don't even – who ended up in the Pac-12 suck fest? Who, who got out of that It'll alive? be Utah and USC round two. Yeah, yeah. woohoo. I mean, at the end of the day, oh oh, yeah, well, you forgot you got to, you know, put the Utes up more of a BYU man, I thought, Chris, but we can get to that anyway. But um, I just there's a lot of there's some interesting conference championship games coming. Um, I think the Big 12 championship game, Chris, a lot of stuff that you cover a little bit of. I think uh, I think that's definitely going to be an interesting one. Um, That's K-State and. And TCU, yeah? And the undefeated Horned Frogs. The undefeated Horny Toads. Um, who, honestly, a lot of people don't know this, higher strength the schedule than both Michigan and Ohio State, the TCU Horned Frogs. So, should be interesting to see. Um, I think Ohio State losing to Michigan in the way that they did doesn't help them at all because now they're not going to play in a conference championship game. And the last taste we have in our mouth is them getting – Maul would be putting it lightly by Michigan. Um, I, I thought they absolutely got dummied. So it, it's one of those things that, I mean, we, we've we seen the committee com- completely disrespect USC all the time. And, like, I love it. It, it, it makes me happy. It kind of keeps my blood circulating, you know, that type of thing. But <laughs> I, I just I, – it, it, it'll be hard to keep USC out if they beat Utah. I just don't see Utah losing – or Utah beating USC twice in one year. I just don't. I just don't think the talent's there. Especially Utah down on defense this year um, was so strong for so long. It just. I don't know. It, it's truly one of those years that I, you keep kind of waiting for the shoe to drop. But at this point, you got to throw your hands up and just say, "We'll see how conference championship week goes." Because oh boy, can this get crazy! It can Chris? get crazy, and uh, I was going to say, Chris, I want to hear your thoughts on just the playoff picture. Obviously, you've seen TCU live. A lot of people haven't gotten a lot of looks at the Frogs. What do you think? Are they for real? And you know, how does this top four end up shaking out? Uh, for real, in the sense that they can compete with Georgia, I probably wouldn't, you know, say, yeah, that'll be a, a back and forth. I don't think that they'd automatically be out of that game. The thing about the Frogs this year, and it's a trait that I saw in Baylor last year and not this year, and I see it in TCU magnified like times 10 from what Baylor had last year the guys know how to win and it's such an intangible thing that you you can't teach it but Max Duggan um that Quentin Johnston he he went to school actually about 30 minutes south of where my station is um in Temple he just somehow is wide open in the biggest moment of the game somehow TCU knows how to win football games and and for the first few weeks you think it's a fluke and then when they do it you know, 12 times you go, okay, this team just knows how to win. So, yeah, I think from that standpoint, they're they're for real. And I think that if you could bottle that up and sell it, every coach in the country would buy what TCU has because they don't have the talent on their roster that, you know, the other top four teams have, uh, including a USC and, and uh, you know, especially not Georgia and, or even like an Alabama or Tennessee, but they just know how to win football games. And so – I do. I think that group is special. And I, I, uh, I, let me say, if I was on the playoff committee, I would be praying that Georgia, Michigan, USC, and TCU all win on Saturday. Because then it's easy. You just shove them in there. As soon as one of them starts losing, then it's like, okay, well, do we put a one-loss TCU who lost in the conference championship game in? Or do we put a one-loss Ohio State team who didn't go to the conference championship? Do we put 
you know, oh, it just, I don't know. It, it gets so messy if those four teams don't win. Don't forget Bama. Bama's just creeping out there. They're still, they're hanging around. It just, we can't ever forget Bama. Yeah. So, Chris, of those four teams that you just mentioned that you said it would be chaos if they lost, which one of them do you think has the best chance of losing this weekend? Put you on the spot. I, I mean, TCU, that Kansas State team is the real deal. I mean, they are very good. They, it was their first game. So their starting quarterback, Adrian Martinez, a Nebraska guy, there's my connection to him. But he, uh, so he got injured. Will Howard came in and it was his first time playing against that TCU team. TCU ends up winning. Um, Kansas State fans initially are like, oh, only because it was our backup quarterback. Then it turns out Will Howard might be even better than Adrian Martinez. So really don't know what's going on there. But that Kansas State team is the real deal. I have not seen a team. I mean, the way they dominated Baylor at McLean Stadium was impressive. Just that what they put together, their body of work this season has been impressive. So I think they're number 12 for a reason. I think Kansas State, I mean, I think TCU Kansas State is going to be a legitimate slugfest that could go any which way. But I also, I think Utah USC is a similar situation where I think the Utes can hang. I, I would I would lean USC, but I think the, the Utes can hang. And if the Trojans can't put them away and, and let them hang around, then they might be in trouble like last time. It feels like TCU is the easy answer, but it's true. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, they're going to get a lot of Deuce Vaughn this weekend. Deuce is yeah. a bad, bad man. For our breaking balls fans that haven't watched Kansas State at all, I don't blame you, but 22 is a bad man. Let me tell you what. He's going to get the ball about 40 times, and uh, TCU is going to have to pray every time he touches it. But uh, they, if anyone can stop him, it's TCU. He is tiny, too. I When he walked out of the coin toss against Baylor, so I, that was the first time like being close to him, and I was like, Oh, this man might not even be five six. Like he is. Uh, this man might be shorter than my mom. And then I saw him absolutely embarrass some Baylor DBs in the open field, and I was like, okay, yeah, I, I'd probably want him on my roster still. I don't care how short he is. I mean, hey, lower man wins, Chris. You know, you know that Adam knows that lower man always wins. Amen, man. D three football is the definition of low man wins. But <laughs> Chris, um, you know, obviously. Elephant in the room with the Big 12. You've got your two big boys in the conference taken off here um, with Texas and Oklahoma. I'm wondering what you think moving forward the Big 12 competition looks like. Do you think you just see this kind of what we see in the Pac-12 to where we get a lot of parity and just kind of everybody eats everybody? Or what do you make of the Big 12 going forward here now that, you know, we we really haven't ever thought of them? It's It's been a very long time since we've thought of them without – you know, without the Big 12 having Texas and Oklahoma, but just wanted to get your thoughts on what the Big 12's future looks like moving forward. Yeah, I mean, they're they're losing one team that went 6-6 six and six this year and is barely making a bowl game, and, uh, <laughs> and another team that's gone, what, 13-11 and 11 over the last two seasons? So I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it feels like they're losing two, two middle-of-the-pack programs. Actually, I grew up a Sooner fan, and I, I hope they bounce back for the sake of them. No, I think... <laughs> It's an it's an interesting situation with those two gone. I think the worry when it was announced was warranted. But, Adam, I mean, you look at this year's conference championship, last year's conference championship, the four teams that have played that are going to be playing, four different teams, all four are in the, the same Big 12 that's sticking around. I will say, I don't know if you saw uh, Coach Fickle is leaving Cincinnati to go to Wisconsin. That hurts a little bit because Cincinnati coming in, that was, you know, giving a little bit of street cred. Obviously, Houston had an off year this year, too. So, yes, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not delusional. I don't think the Big 12 is going to be what it has been 
without Texas and Oklahoma, but I think it's fine. I don't think it falls behind, you know, I don't think you go, oh, wow, ACC and Pac-12 are so much better than the Big 12. They won't have the big dogs of the Big 10, but I think after you chop off the top two of the Big 10, any of those teams can compete with any of the Big 12 teams, and I would, you know, I would flip a coin for most of those games. So, I... I you... Sorry, Chris, go ahead. No, you're, I was just going to say, I... It was a lot of doom and gloom when it first happened. I thought Bob Bolsby should have been fired the day that it was announced that they were leaving. First off, letting him go. Second off, you didn't know? Yeah, I, he should have been gone that day. I think Brett Yormark is going to be great for the conference, but Bob Bolsby got a whole nother year. He should have been gone that day. <laughs> that is funny that he was just like, oh, well, I, I didn't even know that this was coming. It's yeah. like, dude, that's like... It's like saying your wife of like you didn't even notice your wife of thirty years was cheating on you. I mean, like realistically, <laughs> the signs were there. You just weren't looking hard enough. I mean, come yeah, on, there, brother. You weren't getting paid millions of dollars to know your wife was cheating. Bowlesby's getting paid millions. That's your job. What else are you hey, doing? Hey, hey, now Bob Bowlesby had a job for a long time because Larry Scott was still in operation with the Pac-12, so it just got to be deflected. It worked out well for everyone there. Chris, I am going to put you on the spot here, though. Obviously, you talked about the Big 12's future moving forward. Who wins the national championship first, the Big 12 in its entirety or Nebraska? Big 12. Oh. Yeah. I'm trying to think of who. I'm going to go Big 12 in its entirety. Okay. Just going to take the field. That's a that's a smart man. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, the, the thing for me is that I look at TCU's in the playoff right now. So it's like, or if they can win this game and, you know, Kansas State's trending in the right direction. I don't know. If you asked me if either one would win in the next 10 years, I'd probably say no. So there's my answer. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I I will say this, and it kind of got me thinking a little bit as you were talking about the Big 12. And, you know, when you look at kind of obviously it just means more. The SEC is going to be the top dog. I mean, it, it is what it is. We're just going to get it out of the way. But of the field, per se, whether we're talking Pac-12, ACC, or Big 12, it just seems like if you're looking at the football culture, just roots of good football, the Big 12 is at such a distinct advantage to where that if they could find a way to keep some of this homegrown talent that they have at some around some of the areas in Texas and, and in the South, because that's some of the best high school football that they play in the country, obviously. Lately, everybody's been in love with California and Florida, but let's not forget the blue blood here. Texas high school football has always been cream of the crop, and as much as it pains me to say it because I played big high school California football, that's still king. I mean, and oh, if – He's on record. I am, sadly. If I could – if we they could find a way to keep some of those Southern boys in the Big 12, I think they've got a good chance of really emerging as that, as that other conference that we don't – you know. Because right now, it just kind of feels like it's up for grabs. I mean, the Pac-12 is kind of hit or miss. It's just too – they cannibalize each other. The ACC kind of goes back and forth. Not a ton of stories there. But the Big 12, I think they've got the right amount of – the kind of right mixture of roots and talent. I, I really think, on second thought, there is there is something to this conference in the future. I'm telling you. I like it. Yeah, I think if you go back to, um, and again, I was paying attention to Baylor because my brother went there. So if you go back to when Baylor was putting up 60, 70 points a game and TCU was, uh, the very first year of the college football playoff, TCU and Baylor both very well could have been in there and missed it. But if you go back to those days, the prime of Art Bryles, the prime of Gary Patterson, 
they were beating out Texas and Texas A&M for the number one wide receiver in the state. They were getting four and five star quarterbacks. It's not like they haven't done it before, and it's not like they can't do it again. It'll be interesting to see TCU, brand new head coach Sonny Dykes, having this success in his first year. What does that do with recruiting? Are kids going to say, hey, I can go to Fort Worth and and compete and win games, and if Texas struggles in their first few years in the SEC, if A&M stays down for a couple of years, you might see that shift, and I think you're exactly right, Adam. They already have, you know, there's a lot of fan base. There's history at all of these stadiums. You have Heisman, a Heisman winner in Waco. You're going to have potentially a playoff team in Fort Worth. Um, Oklahoma State's been in the conversation for years. They were two inches away from the playoff last year. Um, Baylor, of course, knocking them out of it. Just got to Got to hype them up a little bit. But, yeah, I think you're right. Big 12 has the potential there. I think they've weathered the first part of the storm, which was what happens when these teams leave. Well, these four other teams have stepped up and, and done better. So I think you're right. I am biased, but I think you're right. I've I, got one more. I, I want to ask Adam really fast, though, and I don't know, Bob, if you're from California as well, but what do you guys think of the two L.A. schools going to the Big 10? What are your thoughts on that? It, it's a culture – it's just – it's it's different. I get it for media reasons, but, like, for me, you know, you get the college conferences together. You get to go to all the different road trips as a student. They're all close. Mm-hmm. You're isolated with two different schools out on the West Coast there. I get it. It's just a weird fit. It makes sense for football reasons, but for everything else, it doesn't. I'll say this. Um, both L.A. schools do a very good job. Well, actually, UCLA more than USC does a very – UCLA makes – their football games incredibly inaccessible. Um, they, they, you know, UCLA's on the west side. They play their games in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. And it, it, this just kind of deepens that trend as far as UCLA goes. I mean, it, it's just going to – I think you're going to lose a lot of people who are kind of those Pac-12 homers. They love the history of it and stuff like that. And, I mean, you've even heard the government getting involved. I mean, old Gavin Newsom, Daddy Gavin wants to make sure that – Maybe UCLA isn't going to be able to go anywhere. We'll see what he does because he was on that kick for a little while. So we'll see. We'll see if he makes any more noise there. But it, it, I get it for football because obviously it's your money maker, it's your bread and butter, it's who butters your bread per se. But I'm thinking of the poor volleyball girl who's got to go, you know, who's got to fly around and miss every single class that she's ever even considered taking during her season. Because she's got to go to Rutgers. Yeah, UCLA Rutgers. And these other sports are flying commercial too. It's not even like, hey, we'll hop on this. It's like, mm -mm. hey, let me go to LAX and walk through security to fly to to fly to Piscataway, New Jersey, to play Rutgers. And and I mean, at the end of the day, I I mean, a flying coach. I mean, especially as a team, Chris. I mean, we. We had some experiences doing that (laughs) once or twice to lovely McMinnville, Oregon. Oof, yikes. But, I mean, I just – it's one of those things that I get it, but I just wish that we could have kind of kept the money out of college football a little bit longer, but it was only a matter of time. I mean, it's just the way of the world. It's everybody wants the best product, and somehow they feel like, you know, watching Iowa punt to USC is going to give us joy. So, I, I guess I guess that sounds great. Let's Let's see how it rips. I can't wait for Beth Mowens in the Rose Bowl. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. I cannot wait. Um, well, i got one more hard-hitting question for Chris, but before I do that, Adam, do you have anything else from football here that we need to go over here that I missed? Um, well, 
I guess, you know, you touched on Mary Hart of Baylor, Chris. Should we uh, should we have a little bit of a, a group therapy session here and maybe kind of decompress after the 50-6 shellacking that our yeah. football careers took in lovely Belton, Texas? Bob, Bob, it wasn't just a shellacking. It was 50-0. to zero. We threw a 50-50 ball on the last play of the game. Definitely was an interception. They called it a touchdown. Our quarterback didn't even watch. Threw it, walked off. He was standing next to me on the sideline when they finally made the call for a touchdown. Didn't even smile. And then Adam, so so UMHB's legendary head coach, Pete Fredenberg, he was the coach at the time. He, he was their only coach until this year. Retired. The defense coordinator took over. And so I met him his first day being introduced. And I was just like, hey, Larry, like just, you know, I, you know, I was on that Chapman team that played a few years ago. And he just turns and looks me in the eyes and goes, that was an interception. <laughs> The fact that he even still cares. He still had that deep in his heart immediately do. But in my eyes, hey, those wins were vacated. Adam, as far as I'm concerned, it was a no result. That's what I'm draw. saying, baby. We won. I ended my football career on a draw. And luckily, I mean, Bob, let me, let me explain to you what this was like for us. Because we were staying in Belton. We take a trip to the Walmart. I use my $20 per diem. I get myself a couple Pedialytes and a box of Pop-Tarts. And my fat ass accidentally leaves the box of Pop-Tarts at the fucking checkout stand of the Walmart in Belton, Texas. And that's when we knew we were in trouble. It was a bad omen. Adam doesn't have his Pop-Tarts. We're in trouble. Dude, if I can't get my pregame cookie, I needed a pregame Pop-Tart. And it was just... Pedialyte and Pop-Tarts. Look, dude, I didn't... I didn't say it was orthodox. We just said it worked. Without telling me you're a defensive lineman. Good Lord. So, so we get on the let – me, let me tell you when I actually knew that this game was going to go terribly for us. And it was when we had – before I had even gotten on the bus to get to the stadium, we walked down to the lobby. I'm a touch early because obviously that's the kind of person I am. You know, first guy in, last guy out. So the <laughs> – this woman in the lobby goes, hey, uh, where, where are y'all from? And I was like, oh, we're from Southern California. She's like, oh, what are you guys doing here? And we're like, oh, we're here to play Mary Harden Baylor. And she just looks at me <laughs> with this fucking look like, like, oh, bless your heart, you dumb idiot. Bless just your heart. Like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, um, she goes, they're, they're pretty good. I was like, yeah, best team in the nation. They're like, oh, well, good luck. <laughs> And I got on the bus, and I couldn't forget it. And then we pull up to this little – I can't even call it little – the Taj Mahal of Division Three football there. And we get a police escort to my funeral. And it, it was – they they literally they, – they brought me – it was lovely, Bob. They brought me into the locker room. They made me comfortable. They be, took me behind the woodshed. They beat my ass, let me walk out after halftime, and then took me behind the woodshed again beat me one more time and then after that they gave me a chick-fil-a chicken sandwich and i went the hell back to california y'all come back play soon. football anymore yeah y'all come back now Chris, oh. is that how you remembered it oh, yeah if not worse than that i don't know it, it, it was not great i think for me it was the second i saw the police escort I was like, oh, they're just trying to get us in and out as quick as possible. They're, <laughs> they're already looking at next week, maybe even two weeks down the line. Just get us in and out and, and be done with it. 
Yeah, who'd have thought if I'd have gone there, maybe Coach would have given me a car, you know? That would have been great. That's true. A nice uh, a nice 12-year-old Subaru to drive around. <laughs> yeah, you know, nothing. Hey, nothing says love like a Subaru. <laughs> Absolutely nothing, Chris. Oh, oh, oh no. Uh, Chris, I know everyone's been dying to hear the one question, though, because Uh-oh. you've had the West Coast ties, but you're in Texas now. And all of our listeners want to know, though, in and out or Whataburger, though? That's the question. You've had both at your disposal now? Talk to me. It, it's it's in and out, and it's not really even close. Wow. Um, I will say, though, Whataburger is always there for you, 24 hours a day. So you know what? You're, you're rolling out of the karaoke bar in downtown Waco at 2.30 a.m. Whataburger's there for you. And then the other thing Whataburger has, they have this jalapeno ranch. Oh, it is. It is phenomenal. You know what? Are you guys jalapeno fans? You want me to send you a couple bottles? Mm-hmm. If you Please. could, that would Please. be lovely. Just just say your addresses right now on this very public setting, and I'll, and I'll just send it to you. Why don't but you actually, give me your social – why don't you give me your social security number, and I'll get right on that. Okay, yeah. For, if you do text me, I'll send you a couple bottles. Other than that, it's in and out all the way. It's not even close. Um, we do have an in and out here in Waco, and – that is where I chew. There's a Waterburger. I could throw a football and hit the Waterburger for my station, and I have not eaten there. Ooh. I'd rather drive to In-N-Out. So that's, I'm that's it. damn. I'm wow. I know some of our morning crew is rolled in here, so they might be mad hearing me say it. But I mean, honey just- butter chicken biscuit. Get it in your life. It's elite. Okay, I will. They do serve that if we have like an early an early sporting event we go to. They'll like have honey butter chicken biscuits in the uh, in the it's press just, box. It's good. Yeah, that's good. So I guess if it's before noon, I'm going Waterburger, or after 2 a.m., I'm going Waterburger, just because you have to. The rest From of the, the hours, time, we're going in and out. You mentioned From- it. I can't, I can't ever see you doing a late-night karaoke session straight to Waterburger, Chris. I can't even see you at karaoke. That, it couldn't be you. couldn't be you. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm usually very sober and in perfect pitch when I do it. So, you know, we'll, uh, What are we singing? What's the song of choice? I know you've got something usually that you go to. So, so I used to be, you know, I hit a lot of – actually, and this is basically the music we played in the locker room all the time. It's like early thousands, like Blink-182 type stuff, late 90s, you know, that – that era, I know Blink-182 goes back earlier than that, but that was kind of the era we hit. I did that for a while, but then uh, a girl put my name in to do uh, a Rihanna song, brought down the house. And so uh, now I'm starting to think that's what I need to be doing, not not going with the other and sticking with So try that next time you're out there. There's a couple, she has a couple bangers that you can sing. Umbrella was the one we hit. and. Ooh, good girl gone bad era. Okay, all right, all right. Nice, nice, all right. That's, that's we know our thing. Rihanna culture over here. I got yeah, you. I was going to say, don't be silly telling us that she has a few bangers. We know. <laughs> we know. We know damn well what she has in store. Got an album. Yeah, she's got an uh, album full of them, yeah. This yeah. Super Bowl halftime show is going to be absurd for the record. Just so Big we're fan. all on the same page. Well, Chris, we've sat there and peppered you with questions for this entire time. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Anything you want to ask either of us? Well, well, first, can I just I, – I need it. I've, I've wanted to make this pitch for years, and you asked me about the Big 12, and this is my super unrealistic pitch to what they could do. If they would just put an airport in all of these towns that there's football games, visiting <laughs> fans would go to these games. I shouldn't – I went to Morgantown. I flew into Pittsburgh, not even in the same state. I had to rent a car, drive an hour and 15 minutes to Morgantown. I went to there's nothing closer Pittsburgh. than Pittsburgh? 
Well, they, they have a regional airport where it was like, but, okay, I can have a three-hour layover in the Pittsburgh airport, or I can just rent a car and drive an hour 15. Yeah. Um, and Ames, wow. Iowa, same thing, flying into Des Moines, driving 45 minutes up. You know, it's like, put it in the tent, Waco. You got to drive, fly into either Austin or Dallas. You can go regional, but you're not going to. You're going to. You're going to save yourself the 40 bucks and put yourself through the misery of having to rent a car and drive down <laughs> 35. Put a big airport. I know it's not realistic. Put a big airport in. All your problems are solved. You get fans at games. You get visiting crowd. It's going to be great. Greg Abbott, if you're listening, we need Greg, we need Greg, money for infrastructure. Mark too, because he's, he's in all of them. All right, I do. I, I want to hear. Uh, I want to hear Adam's unbiased take on Lincoln Riley and USC. You surprised how oh. he's made it successful, and do you think he'll be able to sustain it? Well. Um, like most things in Southern California, um, whether it be parenting or anything like that, um, they like to make money. They like to make problems go away by throwing money at it. And that's exactly what USC did here. I mean, they realized that, you know, the same school that employed Clay Hilton gainfully for way too long finally decided that it was time to for them to put on their big boy pants and remember who the fuck they were. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> USC – it runs and drives California football. I would love to say it's the Chapman Panthers because we're the only ones who don't have TV timeouts. You know, we're for the people, but it's neck and neck. So, but at the end of the day, California football goes as USC football goes. They drive the bus and it, as a state, we can't, I can't afford to have them be bad. So to see Lincoln Riley come in and have the success immediately, I mean, Caleb Williams is an unreal athlete. Unreal. I hate I hate how they do things because it's USC. They just they find a way to, you know, I knew as soon as the transfer rules were gone, there's no better network in the country than these freaking USC alums who go out there and they're like, you know, they've got their credit unions and everything, man. I, I, I hate them. I, I, they're just so well set up for this. And I didn't think it was going to happen this quickly. Um, I didn't think we'd be talking Lincoln Riley year one, possibly getting into the playoff, but to see USC be this successful this quickly does not surprise me because let's just say there's one school in Southern California who's been leaving, you know, random bags of money in players' rooms for a long time. And now that that's legal, I, I, I don't necessarily think that they're going to struggle now that they don't have to hide it. I mean, poor Reggie Bush lost his Heisman for what we're doing legally now. I mean, come on. Crazy. Right, Bob, Bob, I have a two-parter for you, okay? Okay. Number one, you're watching your Tigers. They're taking on the Bulldogs. Down to the wire. How devastating to see them not quite get the upset this year. Ah, just kind of expected it when they kicked, I think it was five field goals. You could <laughs> yeah. just kind of felt like, oh, you're you're going to give them a shot here. You just It's so Missouri athletics that it hurts that – you can't put a game away and you have some form of heartbreak that's just ripped out of your chest. I mean, you know this Mizzou team. You've probably seen some highlights. They found different ways to win this year than ever. Like, it was not good for your mental health. So, I just – I think the Georgia game was finally the game where I was like, whatever. Like, I'm numb at this point. Here's, here's my second part to it. So, after the game – um. Georgia, oh, what his name just left me. I, I just had it. The uh, the head coach, Georgia, the old Kirby Smart. Kirby, yeah, Kirby Smart. Yeah, you think I would know the national championship head coach's name? After the yeah, game, he good. says it's it's the SEC. It's hard to win on the road. 
Is Columbia actually a hard place to win? I, I've seen quite a few teams win in Columbia, so is it a hard place to win? Oh, man, coming, coming at me. Just trade the heart. I mean, listen. Question, then I kind of had to get a dig in there. But genuinely, yeah. is, it, is it hard to 50, win there? 50-50 for two reasons. Either that one, they, I mean, that crowd was juiced up, and I heard – from multiple people over there, that was probably the best atmosphere they'd had in five years. So um, legitimately think it was a great atmosphere. The other thing is if you go to Columbia, Missouri at 11 a.m., you know, mid-November, 40-degree kickoff, a lot of teams don't come off the plane motivated. So sometimes you can catch them kind of sleeping saying, I don't want to be in this podunk-ass town. Like, I mean, I get it. I woke up – I didn't want to go to the 11 o'clock game. So, I mean – you can kind of use that as your advantage sometimes, kind of having a dead atmosphere. But the Georgia game, apparently, it was electric. I don't know. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> no trips to Columbia? Is that what you're telling us? I don't know. You never know. You never know. In a couple of years when every team is in the SEC, then maybe. I mean, it'll be, yeah, it'll be just one big free-flowing conference at some point. But then, then how will the 18 playoff? It'll be wild. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. The madness. I was going to say August Madness to get it done yeah. that quickly. Oh, <laughs> we just use the preseason rankings. I love that. I'm all in for it. <laughs> just, just let the sports writers decide. We love that. Don't They don't need to play on the field. No. No. No, no, no. Well, Chris, um, without it goes without saying, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. You're welcome back anytime you want. Um you know, we kind of do have to worry about your IQ losing a few points when you hang out around these parts, but you are welcome whenever you want, Chris. So thank you so much for coming by, man. Yeah. Hey, it was a great time. Love getting on with you guys. No, uh, Chris, again, lovely to meet you. We will, we will do this again and uh, go, go defend Waco because I know Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, David Koresh is not doing it. So somebody has got to take up the throne. Oh, yeah, well, no. make, we made yeah, it make so sure you... David Koresh. We talk. did so well. We did, we so, did so well. well. Have you guys seen like the Netflix series on it? You know, like the yeah. so you know the news van that drives out there, the big old KWTX. Yeah, that's I, y'all in the station. Oh. That oh. Yeah, I have coworkers who had to cover that whole disaster. Oh, so, you know, and this all that we oh, I think you seen documentary that. KWTX, we're the ones who tipped him off. Taylor Kish did a great job being David Krish. I mean, for for those that have listened to this podcast from day one, I think we made 14 or 15 straight episodes where we snuck a Branch Davidian joke in somewhere. <laughs> so we, we got lax on it, but welcome back, episode 28. We finally got it. We did it. We're back in the saddle, boys. Drink your Dr. Pepper tonight and think of Chris Williams fondly. Chris, thank you so much, buddy. We appreciate you. Chris, before we let you go, where can we find you on Twitter for our listeners, Instagram, Twitter? Go ahead and plug whatever you need to, my friend. At CWILLTV. C-W-I-L-L-T-V. It's that simple. One of the better be underwhelmed. No, one of the followers better, are incoming. Yeah, one of the better Twitters I've ever seen from a sports beat writer, ladies it's and gentlemen. It's a good gentlemen. time on there, right? We have fun sometimes. Yeah, we like to have fun. Why not? Well, I'm trying to go to the Big 12 championship to cover it on Saturday. So maybe I'll come back after that if it's a good game. There we go. Love it. See if we can work it out. Dude, that'd be awesome. All right, man. Well, hey, thank you so much. We're actually going to end this interview now, I promise. Episode 28, be a friend, tell a friend. Thank you for listening.